0: to the Thornapple Valley Church podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit Tbcweb.com. So my name is Lonnie. I'm the new interim campus pastor in Middleville, so I want to give a shout out to all my friends in Middleville and all my friends over in Delton and then here to you and those of us that are joining us online. We're in the middle of a series called Stupid Tax. So let's start this the prescribed way. Pastor Jeff talked about this uh, when we first started this series that he thought that church should be more and more like an AA meeting with the integrity and the transparency and that sort of thing that's involved in those meetings, Celebrate Recovery. And so uh, if this is our Stupid taxpayers' Anonymous meeting, let's start the prescribed way. Hi. My name is Lonnie, and I've paid a lot of stupid tax. And you say? (laughs) So just to make sure we're all on the same page, stupid tax is when you had the chance to learn and you ignored it. And then after having acted foolishly because you chose not to learn, you have to pay the price. Pain, embarrassment, finances, whatever it may be. So today, I want to introduce you to something that I'm calling the wisdom tax credit. <laughs> this is where is the opposite of the stupid tax. This is where you have a chance to learn and you take it. This is where you obey and you do the right thing and you become eligible for great blessings as a result. We're gonna look at this in the life of David. David is one of my favorite Old Testament characters. He did such amazing things for God, and then he did such horrific things against God. He's a fascinating character. His story spans in the Old Testament all the way from 1 Samuel 16 all the way through 2 Samuel to 1 Kings 2. So we're going to focus on just a couple of incidents in his life his confrontation with a Philistine giant named Goliath, and then later his affair with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. So David was a handsome man and a warrior even as a young man. Let me just give you a little bit of background, so if you don't know the story, it'll make sense. A guy named Samuel was a key leader in the nation of Israel at the time. He was a prophet which means that he told the people what God was saying to them, and he had been a judge. He was sort of like the Supreme Court of the whole nation as well. Now, years before our story starts tonight, the people of Israel had come to Samuel and said, we don't want you to be our leader. We don't want you to be a judge over us. We want a king like all the other nations. So God had guided Samuel to a guy named Saul, And Saul was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel. He cut a very kingly figure, right? Samuel went through the ritual of pouring oil over his head, which was how Israel recognized someone as a leader in those days. Now, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in scriptures. So this ritual meant that the people were trusting that God was going to empower their king supernaturally to lead them well. Now Saul did really well at first, but then he disobeyed one of God's commands and God rejected him as king of Israel, removed the Holy Spirit from him because of his disobedience. Saul was paying a big stupid tax. The scripture actually says, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, when our story opens today, God had told Samuel to go to Bethlehem. Does the name of that town sound familiar to you? Bethlehem, does that ring any bells? Now, this is the town where Jesse, David's father, lived. So God tells Samuel, go to Bethlehem. And I'm going to show you who the next king of Israel is supposed to be. So you can designate him as king by pouring the oil over his head. Now Samuel was scared that if Saul found out he was going to Bethlehem and he was going to anoint the next king, he was afraid that Saul was going to kill him. Because he would really be naming Saul's successor and it wouldn't be one of Saul's sons. So this is all sort of on the down low, right? This is kind of undercover. Samuel goes to Jesse's house for dinner, and while they're getting ready to sit down for the meal, Samuel asks to see all of Jesse's sons. And is impressed. These are all good-looking young men. But God hasn't chosen any of them. So Samuel asks Jesse if he has any other sons. And Jesse's like... Oh, yeah, my youngest son is out watching the sheep. He brings David in. Some experts think that perhaps David was only 10 or 11 years old at this time, and maybe that's why he hadn't been invited to the meal with the prophet. So Samuel looks at David, and God says, This is the one. And so Samuel takes out his oil and pours it over David's head, anoints him as the next king of Israel. And the scripture says, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, in those days, the Holy Spirit came mainly on prophets and priests and kings, occasionally a craftsman who needs to be anointed to do something spectacular. But today... If you're a Christ follower, you can ask for and receive that same power of the Holy Spirit in your life as well. Now, here's our first opportunity to see a wisdom tax credit in the life of Jesus. Now, as the youngest son of the family, David's job was watching the family sheep. Now, let me just tell you, watching sheep is a boring job. It's sort of like watching grass grow or paint dry. But David took this downtime to do three things. He learned how to play the harp or the lyre. He practiced until he was an expert with a sling. They called it sometimes a shepherd's sling. And then number three, he developed an amazing closeness to God. He prayed and he listened to the Lord. He would pour out his heart to God. Just tell God everything he was thinking and feeling. And all of that, we'll see how it plays out in his life later. Now, here's something important. Luck favors the prepared Ericus said it last week, you can't plan an extraordinary life, but you can prepare. So David in his downtime prepared learned to play the harp, learn to sling the sling, learn to be close to God. We'll see how these skills which he developed, He could have been doing the ancient equivalent of playing video games or watching TV. Instead, he's developing these skills, and we'll see how these were keys to his advancement and promotion. So let me show you how this worked in David's life. Scripture says, The Spirit of the Lord had left King Saul because of his disobedience, and an evil spirit began troubling him. We don't really know exactly what that means. It could be that he would fall into depression or he would fall into rages. Something happened there. We don't know exactly what. His servants suggested to him that if he could find a musician, that somebody to come and play the harp could be soothing to the king and drive the evil spirit away. Now, who do we know that knows how to play the harp? Guess who got the call? David David gets the call. He becomes the king's personal musician. He becomes the king's armor bearer. He plays for him whenever he's troubled, and it works. The evil spirit would leave whenever David played his harp. And the scripture says that King Saul loved him. Now let's talk about the sling for a minute. What you need to understand, that I didn't get for a while, is that a sling is a long distance weapon, like the bow and arrow. In the Israelite army, the scripture tells us there were 700 left-handed men who could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Now, some experts say that a good slinger practiced at the same range as an archer. And he said 200 to 400 yards. Two to four football fields is how they're practicing with a sling. Now, the stones they used were golf ball to tennis ball size. And typically weighed more than half a pound. The shepherd's sling is outlawed in Israel today because Palestinian children were killing Israeli soldiers with them. So my plan was to show you how a sling worked. I had fantasies of a dramatic demonstration where I popped balloons or smashed water glasses with a sling. My wife bought me one on Amazon, and uh, so one afternoon I went out to practice. You see, there's a slip knot on one end, so you slip it over your finger like this, and then you hold the other end in your hand, and the, the stone or the golf ball goes here in this little leather pouch like this, right? So you put the projectile, your stone. Remember that they used stones weighing about half a pound. And then what you do is you whip that thing around like that, and as you whip it, then you let go of the end, and the stone goes flying across the field. So I started with a golf ball. I whipped that sling around and realized the golf ball is gone, but I had no idea where it had gone. And it's like... 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. It bounced off my neighbor's roof, which is at a 90-degree angle from where I was aiming. I decided we need to work with a little bit of less lethal projectile. So I found a miniature tennis ball which is actually a squeaky toy for our little dogs. I'm telling you, I chased this thing around my yard for an hour, aiming at a 90-gallon trash can, never hit it once. So I started choking up, right? And when I got it about to there, I managed to hit it three times in a row from a distance of about 10 feet. (laughs) Call that good. (laughs) And you're spared a demonstration this evening. (laughs) So, we see David learning how to play the harp. He gets promoted to being Saul's armor bearer. We see him learning how to use a sling. We'll talk about that in a second. And then here's one more thing that I want you to catch. The Scriptures tell us that as he's guarding the sheep, watching the sheep, both a lion and a bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, and David killed them both. Those experiences, killing a lion, killing a bear... That was the foundation for his confidence that he could kill Goliath when the time came. Overcoming difficulties gives us confidence when bigger problems come our way, all right? So, the Philistines were the nation that lived next door to Israel. And they were always fighting with each other. So the day comes when the Philistine army comes to attack Israel. The two armies, the Israeli army and the Philistine army, are camped on two mountains with the valley in between them. And the Philistines send their champion, a giant named Goliath, out to challenge the Israelites to send their champion down and meet him for single combat, winner take all. Now, some of you are old enough to remember the professional wrestler Andre the Giant. You remember Andre? He was billed as seven feet four inches tall. He weighed 520 pounds. And Goliath was two feet taller than Andre the Giant. His bronze coat of armor weighed 125 pounds. There we go. See? Goliath's bronze coat of armor weighed 125 pounds and his bronze spear point, just the point of a spear, weighed 15 pounds. Now remember that King Saul is head and shoulders taller than any other man in Israel. So he's the obvious choice. He's the king. He's head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel. He's obviously the best candidate they have to fight Goliath. But he's a shrimp compared to Goliath. And he's not volunteering for the opportunity. So David comes from Bethlehem to bring some food for his brothers Find out what's going on in the battle. And he hears the challenge that Goliath is rumbling out from the valley below. He discovers that King Saul will give one of his daughters to marry the man that kills the giant. And that his whole family will then be exempt from taxes. So David signs up on the spot. Saul tries to dress David in his armor. Remember that he's head and shoulders taller. This armor's not going to fit. David's smart enough to know that you don't go into battle with untried weapons. So he takes off Saul's armor, grabs his shepherd's staff and his sling, heads down into the valley where Goliath is waiting. Now, you need to understand something. David had no intention of going mano a mano with Goliath. That was everybody's mindset. I love that David's thinking outside the box I believe that Christ followers should be the most creative, most innovative thinkers in the world because we serve the one who created the whole universe. So, in essence, even though he didn't realize it, Goliath was bringing a knife to a gunfight. David gets to the brook that runs through the valley between the two mountains. He stoops down and selects five smooth stones. I used to wonder, why did he get five stones? Did he think he was going to miss the first four times? No, what, what's going on? Then I found out Goliath had four brothers. David's ready to take on the whole family of giants. And just by the way, those four brothers were all killed by men of David's army over the years after he became king of Israel. Someone said, if you want to kill giants, you have to hang out with a giant killer. So Goliath curses David in the name of his gods, and David replies, read this with me. I love this passage. Read this with me, will you? You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. We just got through singing that, didn't we? The battle belongs to the Lord. Well, what David said is exactly what happened. David slings his stone. It whacks Goliath in the forehead. He falls down dead or at least unconscious. David takes his own sword out, cuts his head off, and instantly becomes a national hero. Here's the thing I want you to get preparation is the key. Here we go again. (laughs) So let's fast forward a few years. Eventually, the Philistines kill King Saul and most of his sons, and David is crowned as king of Judah, and seven years later as king of all Israel, and the Lord helps him defeat all of his enemies. He's established as king. David is about to make the biggest mistake of his life, and the stupid tax is huge. See, the challenge for people who are in positions of power is to remain small in their own eyes. It never works out well when you come to believe that you're above the law of God. So it starts kind of innocuously. The scripture says, you guys have it in the back. The scripture says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. Now, David had at least eight wives. And we know at least ten mistresses. You know the saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And if there's eight mamas, the chances <laughs> Of anybody being happy, go way down. Wouldn't you agree? So one night, David can't sleep. He gets up and goes up on the roof of the flat roof of the palace, and from there he looks down and he sees a beautiful woman named Bathsheba bathing. So he sends for her, sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. Now her husband was a man named Uriah. Uriah was one of David's 30 mighty men. He was an amazing champion. But now David has slept with his wife and she's pregnant and Uriah is off fighting with the army. So the fact that she's had an affair and is pregnant is going to be very apparent to everybody. So David figures out a solution. He calls Uriah back from the battle, wines and dines him and sends him home, hoping that he'll sleep with his wife. But Uriah sleeps on the porch of the palace with David's servants because his fellow servants are sleeping in tents in the field. And if they can't sleep in their own beds at home with their own wives, then he's not going to. The next night, David tries again, even gets him drunk sends him home. He sleeps on the porch with David's servants. So David instructs his general, Joab, who incidentally was his nephew. He instructs Joab to put Uriah on the front lines and then withdraw from him so that he'll be killed. And that's what happens. When Bathsheba's time of mourning for her husband is over, then David takes her to be his wife. He thinks he's gotten away with it. Who would have thought that David, the shepherd boy who became king, the one that God had protected and promoted to being king of all God's people, who would ever think that he would be guilty of adultery and of murder? When I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that as a young man, I thought that God had made a list of everything that was fun and stamped that whole list, sin. What I've discovered is that if God calls something sin, it's because it's destructive. It might be fun, but it's destructive to the one who does it and often to the people who are around them. Now, our culture today has moved far away from a concept of a God who loves us and tells us not to do certain things for our good. The Ten Commandments are viewed as archaic and legalistic. And today, the idea is if it feels good, do it. But the scriptures say, you cannot fool God. So don't make a fool of yourself. You will harvest what you plant. If you follow your selfish desires, you'll harvest destruction. But if you follow the Spirit, you'll harvest eternal life. So let's look at how this played out in David's life. He thinks he's gotten away with it. It even looks kind of noble. This woman's... Husband, one of David's mighty men, has been killed in battle. And so David takes the grieving widow and brings her into the palace and marries her. It just looks good, doesn't it? But God knows that's not the way it is. And so God sends to David Nathan, the prophet. Remember that a prophet is the person who tells somebody, who tells the nation or tells somebody what God is saying. God sends Nathan to confront David about his sin. How does David respond? This is very important. He could have killed the prophet. He could have tried to bribe him to keep the secret. He could have tried to explain away the sin. Oh, I've just been so overwhelmed. The crown is so heavy. It's so difficult being king. I'm just a man. No. His response was, I've sinned against the Lord. Listen to me now. Rationalization is never a way out. Repentance is. Changing the way we think about things so that we begin to think like God thinks. That's the way out. Psalm 51 is the prayer of repentance that David wrote. And I believe, personally, that this is one of the reasons David was called a man after God's heart. He was a worshiper, he was a psalmist, he loved the presence of God, he was a great warrior. He was also honest and transparent and repentant when he sinned. Here's the New Testament verse that instructs us in these kinds of situations. First John 1.9 says this, But if we confess our sins to God He can always be trusted To forgive us And take our sins away God forgave David He didn't take the Holy Spirit away from him Like he did King Saul But the stupid tax Was very heavy David had all kinds of troubles in his own family. Incest and murder and attempted coups and violent deaths. All because David acted like God's laws didn't apply to him. So I got to this place in the preparation of the message. Remember I said at the beginning, we're going to look at two things in David's life. And I got here and I'm like depressed. (laughs) David started with such promise, he had all of those wisdom tax credits. They were all lined up for what he'd done. He had such promise, and he messed up so badly. The stupid taxes were so high. And I thought, I can't end the message like this. We'll all go home depressed. And I thought, God, this doesn't represent you well. God, you're the way maker the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness, you're the overcomer, you're the redeemer, you're the one who works everything together for good. We can't stop right here. And then it hit me. The wisest man who ever lived was a guy named Solomon. He was the king of Israel who brought the nation to its peak of power and prestige among the nations. One of the stories that was told about his wisdom was two prostitutes who had babies. In the night, one of them accidentally rolled over on her baby and smothered it while they slept. And when she awakened and realized that her child was dead, she put her dead child in the other woman's bed and took the other woman's live child to be hers. When the real mother of the live child woke up, sees her, this dead baby is in bed, and she realizes, this is not my baby. And nobody can figure out who's telling the truth. So they bring the two women to Solomon. Solomon hears them both talk. And here's his answer bring me a sword. They bring him a sword, and he says, I'll divide the living child in half and give each of you half of this living baby. And the liar says, well, that's a good plan. And the real mother of the baby says, no, give the baby to her. Don't kill it. Give the baby to her. And Solomon gives the baby back to its mom. The queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's wisdom and his great wealth. And so she came to visit him and ask him hard questions. And Solomon answered every question that she had. When she saw everything that was going on in Solomon's palace, all the splendor, the majesty, the way everything was organized, Scripture says it took her breath away. So who was Solomon's father? King David. And who was Solomon's mother? Her name was Bathsheba. i don't know if you knew this but bathsheba was actually the great 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 grandmother of jesus i don't know if i don't know if that speaks to you but that that's amazing a woman guilty of adultery the victim of having her husband murdered And then marries the guy who murdered him. And God redeems that. And she's part of the lineage of the Messiah. That's so encouraging. It gives me great hope. God is the one who makes all things work together for good to those who love God. So here's the question. Where are you on your spiritual journey? Wherever you are, God will meet you right where you are. He'll love you. He'll help you. Are you investigating spiritual things? Are you still just checking it out? Let me encourage you to take a step forward. Take a step towards a commitment to God. What would that look like for you? Are you like the young David, preparing yourself for the future, piling up wisdom tax credits? Good for you. Keep it up. Maybe you're encountering lots of difficulties, not necessarily stupid taxes, just the problems of life. Let me encourage you to look to God for wisdom. Look for His creativity, His out of the box solutions. He will help you. Or maybe you feel like David when he'd sinned with Bathsheba. Let me reassure you you're not too far gone. God will forgive and restore you and help you. Just like you did David. If you'll acknowledge your sin and turn away from it and turn to him. Maybe you're paying taxes on stupid things that other people have done. Sometimes that's what happens. We suffer not because of our own sins or our own problems, but because somebody around us sins. Maybe the pain is so great on the inside of you that you're feeling like I've got to do something to to fix this. And you're thinking about harming yourself so that the pain on the outside could kind of cover up the pain on the inside. Maybe you're at a place where hope is gone. There's not any solution. Let me just encourage you call out to the Lord. Ask Him to help you. Turn your life over to Him. Give Him a chance to be your way maker and miracle worker and promise keeper. Light in your darkness. I'm going to pray for you and then we'll be dismissed. And if you would like more prayer when we're done, you can head over to the prayer wall. If you're online, I think there'll be a number there at the screen, a place that you can text and there'll be someone there that could pray with you and help you. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the lessons that we've learned tonight from the life of David. Thank you for that reassurance that you love us, that no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, you love us with an everlasting love. Father, I pray that the warmth of your love would fill each heart today. Father, over these next few days, let us experience, as Paul prayed, the length and breadth and depth and height of your love. Father, would you give each one of us grace to take the next step on our spiritual journey toward finding our home in you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen to amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit TBCweb.com.